This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 37 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Hello, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and welcome to our show from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week as we talk about the mental side of sports on this show. Look forward to being here every week and getting into your mind. How your attitude plays a role, how your focus plays a role, what you're thinking about in the world of sports. I've been very privileged to be in my 38th year of work as a sports psychologist. I've been doing this about as long as anyone in the country. And love doing this show every week because we get into topics that play a role in success and failure in the athletic field. We talk about things that affect us psychologically, emotionally, as well as physically, and talk about the successes and failures you might have as an athlete, as a coach, as a referee, as a parent, as a spectator. And uh, last week I mentioned we have a new affiliate in our family of stations, WZGM in Asheville, North Carolina, 1350 AM. Thank you for joining and uh, putting us on on your uh, station every week. Look forward to hearing from you all there. And if you'd like to get a hold of me, send me comments. As always, you can reach me at my website, which is winnersunlimited.com. Send me an email at drj at winnersunlimited.com. Always look forward to hearing and getting comments from people about the topics we bring up each week. You know, I've been very privileged, as I said, to have worked for 38 years, in my 38th year of work now doing this. I've worked with athletes at all levels, from the Olympic and professional level, all the way down to young athletes. We talk about winning and losing. We talk about success and failure. We talk about what does it take to accomplish your goals. And one of the things that I've learned, and I feel I'm constantly learning all the time in this profession, is that the power of the mind is untapped. We don't have any idea yet, I think, just how important what you think and how you react emotionally to what you think is in terms of success and failure. Throughout the years, I've worked with professional teams, collegiate teams, Olympic teams, and I've seen very talented athletes fall apart under the pressure and not have a plan on how to deal with it. I worked for a long time with a very prominent relief pitcher who could throw over 100 miles an hour. And one year, when I first began working with him, the manager of the team said, Doc, have you ever talked to this guy? And I said, no, not yet. He said, well, try and get, get into him. We need him to do better because he's just not mentally there. And walked out of the manager's office, and this individual was playing a video game and said, Doc, hey, you know what? I think it's time for me to talk to you. We started working on getting prepared 
we started working on his mindset. And he could throw the ball over 100 miles an hour, but he had no idea where it was going. So I said, what do you do to get ready? What do you do to get prepared? He said, well, I drank two or three Red Bulls and, uh, you know, eat a bunch of power bars, go down to the bullpen. I said, okay, what do you mentally do to get ready? And he looked at me with this gaze of just emptiness. Said, I guess drink the Red Bulls. I said, okay, but mentally, what are you doing? And then he said, I guess I don't really do anything. And I said, well, okay, I think we need to work on that. So we, we, we worked on developing a routine, a mental preparation routine. And he de- then went on to do quite well after that because he implemented that into his routine. I have these relaxation visualization exercises that I have worked on forever since grad school in the 70s. And they involve a combination of breathing exercises, muscle relaxation exercises, confidence building, and visualization. Visualization, guided imagery, mental preparation. I want to get into that, and that's going to be our topic today. So he started doing that, and he started picturing himself on the mound, throwing the ball confidently, focusing on his effort, focusing on being relaxed, taking a breath, visualizing the ball hitting the glove. This individual then went 18 games in a row without giving up a run. And throughout the rest of his career then, he listened to the relaxation visualization exercise, which is on a CD, for pitching that I had made. And he said it helped in the rest of his career because it got him to get into that zone of focus. See, we spend a lot of time on teaching techniques. We spend a lot of time teaching athletes how to get in a certain stance, how to run a certain play, how to throw a ball, how to block, how to toss a ball up in the air, how to catch a ball, how to tackle, how to block, how to to dribble a ball. But how much time do we spend mentally teaching our athletes what it entails to do that? And that's what I want to get into today. I want to find out from you, if you're a coach, what do you do to help teach your athletes mentally to get ready to play? Do you have a routine that you put them through and have them go through mentally before they play? Do you have practices where you implement mental preparation, visualization exercises into the practice? Now, I'm a sports psychologist. I'm not a coach. A lot of people call me a mental coach, the head doctor. I'm not a technique coach. But when I work with athletes, we get into that. And when I work with teams and coaches, I talk to them about that. What do you do to mentally prepare? You can go online and type in the word visualization in sports, and you'll find thousands of articles now. Back when I was in grad school in the 1970s, there was virtually nothing on it. I did my doctoral dissertation And I had to do a thorough research review on sports psychology. And there wasn't much then. Basically, a lot of it came from Eastern Europe, the Russians and the East Germans, because they were experts at teaching not only steroid use, but 
visualization exercises with their athletes. And in the 80s, when I worked with the United States cycling team, I went to three world championships and the Olympics, 1984 Olympics, we won nine medals in cycling, had not won any in 72 years. And all of our athletes used visualization and they all said it helped. And I learned from the East Germans and the Russians, especially the East Germans, they were very friendly people, they're cyclists. And they talked about how, from when they were kids, part of their training was visualiz visualization, imagining themselves riding their bikes certain ways. So I wanna get into that today. So if you're a coach, do you take time to mentally teach your athletes to visualize success? If you are a coach, do you take the time to teach visualization exercises with your athletes? I wanna hear from you if you're a coach, do you teach visualization to your athletes? What do you do to mentally prepare them to play? If you're an athlete, do you visualize yourself in your event, in your sport? Do you see yourself succeeding? Do you see yourself failing? How do you visual, you know, visualization is both about success and failure. So how do you apply both? I'm sports psychologist, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and welcome to our show here from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I am here every week as we talk about the mental side of sports on this show. And today's topic is the use of visualization and guided imagery in sports. The importance of it, do you use it? You know, I have a saying, you can have two athletes who are physically the same but the one with the stronger mind has a much greater chance of coming out on top. I've been fortunate enough to have been working with athletes, as I said, into my 38th year of this. And I have found throughout my work since grad school that when an athlete takes the time to mentally prepare, visualize their performance, prepare for successes and failures, they have a greater chance to succeed. So I want to get into conversations with you. If you're a coach and we have John on the line, we'll go to in a moment our first caller this morning. I want to hear from you if you're a coach. Do you teach visualization to your athletes? Do you take the time in your practices to have your athletes visualize, lie down and go through a visualization exercise and picture themselves in their games, in their, in their positions? Or do you not take the time to do that? Do you just spend time working on fundamentals? If you are an athlete, how do you mentally get ready to play? Let's go to the phones, talk to John. John, how are you this morning? Thanks for calling in. Doing great, Doc. Um, thanks so much for having me on. You're welcome. Um, yeah, I, I coach a little bit of this and that. Um, basketball is my uh, main love. But uh, visualization uh, story from my playing days, I know no one cares, but uh, fifth and sixth grade. Well, now, I, uh, hold on, hold on now, John. Give yourself some credit where you're on the air, so we do care. So let's hear what you All have right. to say. All right. So I uh, was staying after school for a couple of hours, practicing free throws and uh, understanding the importance of getting a routine. And I went with this really kind of embarrassing, really, uh, like three dribbles. Uh, Mark Jackson, the guard for the Knicks, he used to put his fingers up and, like, size up the rim, the middle of the rim. So I took three dribbles, sized up the rim, leaned my left, leaned back, and shot. 
Um, we were up by one with 17 seconds to go against a school we had never beaten. And um, I swished both free throws after they called two timeouts back to back to ice me. Because um, okay, I got what, carried what, what off were, what were you made shoulders that was, you know, Disney movie, you know, all anybody could ask for. But the visualization of the free throws, I would never have had that life experience without. Well, that's that awesome. Now, let me ask you, what were you when they when they called timeout? What what were you doing mentally? Um, when I first got fouled, let me put it there. Okay, before they okay. called timeout, when I first got fouled, the split second image of me being alone in my bedroom at night, crying myself to sleep because I missed free throws and we lost a game, entered my mind, and I decided I'm not missing the free throws. I'm not going to miss. And they kept calling. You know, they called those two timeouts, and I stood there, kind of, you know, my teammates going, out, "Yeah, you can do it." Blah blah. I was like, "Oh, I know. And I'm, you know, I'm going to make these." So, so when um, you said I'm not going to miss, then you focused on making it. Exactly. So it started with a negative thought, exactly. and then That's it was, where I was a going. positive one. That's where I was going. Right, because you don't want to sit there and think, I'm not going to miss this, because, first sure. of all, that's a double negative. I'm no, not going not to when, miss. not at any point. I mean, forget when you're actually going through the shot. You can't have that in your mind at any point or it's over. But uh, if I could just real quick, one other example, and something that most people don't get to play past the age of 18 or past varsity high school, and you can be pretty good. And it leaves kind of a hole in your life. And golf, um, it costs some money, but anybody can play. And the visualization component of golf is off the charts. Stand behind the ball, visualize the shot shape. Um, am I hitting it straight today? Am I hitting it with a draw? Am I hitting it with a fade? Uh, where do I not want to miss? Um, practice swing, practice swing. Stand behind it, stand next to it, sh- take the shot. I mean, it's, there's so much. And it's like hitting the home run. When you get good at golf, you're, you're hitting the sweet spot every time. And it's just, there's nothing like it. So anyway, thanks so much for your time. Well, you're welcome. And listen, that's a great story. And you know what? That's something you're always going to remember. And I'm sure it's probably helped you in other aspects of your life because I'm sure you probably see yourself visualizing doing things before you do it. And it helps you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, John, thanks for your call. Great story. I appreciate it. You have a great day. All right. Thank you. It's a great call to start the show off with. And I'd like to hear from you. If you're a coach... That validates it right there. I mean, if you are a coach, do you teach your athletes to visualize themselves in their sport? Hitting a tennis serve, shooting a basketball, hitting a baseball, catching a football, blocking, boxing out. Visualization has been proven that athletes who visualize and do it successfully and do it consistently have an 80 to 90% greater chance of being successful than ones who don't. The research proves it. You know, like I said, I've been talking about this since the 19, late 1970s when I was in grad school. I started learning about this. So I think it really, really makes a big difference. You know, John was just caught talking about shooting free throws. I've talked about it before on this show. I was the University of Kansas's first sports psychologist back in the 80s and work with all the teams, and on the basketball team, and I've had this individual on my show before, Calvin Thompson, has the Big 8 record, always has the Big 8 record because there's no more Big 8 for consecutive free throws. There's around 30, 31 in a row, something like that. And we had a routine that we worked on before he would shoot where he'd visualize, you know, he'd get the ball from the ref, he'd stand at the top of the key, visualize the ball going in, step up, go through his routine dribbling, 
take a breath, visualize the ball going through the cylinder, and he chewed it. And he got into a very consistent routine with that. And it worked. In fact, we were one of the top, if, if not the top team in the Big 8 in free throw percentage back then when I was working with them. And, and, I, and I've seen it work. I've seen it work with golfers. Visualize the shot. See it before you hit it. You know, I talk so much on this show about focusing on effort, focusing on yourself. Instead of the result, focusing on your technique. That's visualizing yourself getting into it. And, and it's a mental and physical thing together. How do you feel when you're going through your event? What are you feeling like emotionally and physically? And what are you thinking about? It all combines into that visualization process. And part of the visualization process also is about overcoming failure, overcoming negativity. You know, like John just mentioned, he got fouled and he said, I don't want to miss this. Well, then you have to turn that negative into a positive. So part of the visualization process is having the awareness in your mind of what you don't want to do and turning it into a positive. A quick story, there was a golfer I worked with years ago, a collegiate golfer, who was leading a tournament out in California. The third day, he was up by two strokes. Came up to the 16th hole, a par three. The coach is sitting on the, the tee box and said, don't hit it in the trap, everybody else did. Well, guess what? Plunks it in the trap. It was about a 120-yard hole. Plunks it in the trap in the front of the green. Hits out of the trap, over the green, into the trap behind. Chips on the green and rolls off. He ends up triple bogeying the hole. Loses the tournament by one. Fly back to Kansas City. The next day, comes in and sees me. as livid, really angry at the coach. And I said, listen, your anger is displaced. It should be at yourself. I said, instead of being angry at him, yeah, that was dumb that he said that. But you should have turned that into a positive and visualized, okay, I don't want to hit it in the trap. What do I need to do to hit it on the green? Picture the shot and then hit it. Instead of having that image of plunking it in the trap, because the visualization of hitting it in the trap worked, he did it. All right, I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I want to hear from you if you're a coach, if you're an athlete. Do you use visualization? Do you image yourself, picture yourself in your sport? Do you teach visualization to your team as a coach? Or do you not believe in it? There are a lot of people who don't think it works. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. This is the Sports Psychology Hour, and I'm here every week as we talk about the mental side of sports. And today's topic is this. I'm talking about sports visualization, mental preparation, and do you use it in your game plan? If you're a coach, I want to get your thoughts. Do you take your athletes through visualization exercises, picturing themselves playing their game, playing their position, playing their sport? Do you teach that as part of your coaching? If you're a coach, do you teach your athletes to mentally prepare to visualize themselves playing their position, their sport? 
If you are an athlete, do you utilize it? Is it something you do on a regular basis as a part of your routine? Years ago, when I first started working, I, I would watch athletes physically stretch. You know, take the time to stretch your hamstrings, stretch your quads, go through a stretching exercise. And I, and I would ask them, I remember this swim team I worked with when I first started working. I said, you guys are stretching your muscles. Are you stretching your mind? And they looked at me with disbelief and said, what are you talking about? I said, are you taking the time when you're stretching to see yourself swimming your race? And we got into this conversation and they, they were like, you know, no. I said, why not? Well, they, they really couldn't answer that. So we got into that discussion and I've seen it work. I've seen it work for years. I can give you hundreds of examples of athletes who've taken the time to visualize themselves, picture themselves doing it. But I'd like to hear from you. If you're a coach, do you teach as part of your coaching your athletes to visualize themselves competing, visualize themselves in their position? In fact, because I'm in a generous mood this morning, the first two callers that call in, I will get you a copy of my 20 minutes to athletic success visualization exercise. It's on a CD and a digital download. So our first two callers that call in, I will get a copy of that exercise to you to use with your athletes. It goes through a visual breathing exercise, a muscle tightening and loosening exercise, a confidence building session, and a visualization section. I wanna hear from you if you're a coach. I wanna hear from you if you're an athlete. What do you do to mentally get yourself prepared to play? When you call in Jed, my producer will get your mailing address and phone number so I can get a hold of you and get the exercise to you. So what do you do to get yourself prepared to play? Mental preparation is seeing yourself going through what you want to do. And it's part of what professional athletes, if you listen to any great athlete. You know, I've read a lot on Michael Phelps. He would go through an extensive visualization preparation as part of his routine to get ready. And it worked. It worked consistently for him. It worked consistently for him. And he talked about it after he won all those medals in the Olympics. You know, I've, I've, I've seen how this can be successful. When I used to work with the Kansas City Royals, we spent a lot of time doing this. A lot of the athletes and I, the ball players and I did this. Nick Lowry, who kicked for the Kansas City Chiefs, kicked in the NFL for almost 17 years and formerly co-hosted my show with me, would talk about how we talked about visualizing himself kicking. I mean, let me tell you something. There's nothing more pressure-packed than being an NFL place kicker because you're out there in front of a sold-out stadium either fans who are on your side, fans who are against you, and you need to focus on executing your kick. And you watch a lot of kickers today, and you see them line themselves up, see themselves line themselves up, and, and they picture the kick. And Nick would talk about this on our show, talked about it extensively, about how he would visualize himself kicking the ball. And he would see himself kicking it and see himself being successful. 
and it worked. I've, I've used this for years. So I want to hear from you. If you're a coach, do you teach visualization to your athletes? Do you teach them, do you take them through a mental preparation of visualizing themselves, seeing themselves doing their sport? Want to hear from you and get your thoughts. I think it is an important component because here's the thing. When you get closer to a game, let's face it, athletes, especially younger athletes, get psyched up. They get excited. They get pumped up. And if you get too pumped up, you get too uptight. If you get too uptight, you get too tense. If you get too tense, you don't do well. And that's where the mindset has to come in. That's where the mindset has to come in in terms of seeing yourself going through what you want to go through. I want to hear from you if you're a coach. I want to hear from you if you're an athlete. If you're a coach, do you teach visualization to your athletes? And if you're an athlete, do you visualize yourself in your sport? One of the things that many, many athletes tell me when they come in my office is they see themselves failing. They're afraid of screwing up. They're afraid of letting their parents down, their teammates down, their coaches down, the fans down. I work with a number of high school athletes right now. One is a high school quarterback, very, very, very good quarterback. And it's something we spent a lot of time on, picturing himself in the games before he plays, seeing himself executing at the plays, and seeing himself in all the different situations. So he has a mindset of already being there before the plays happen. And he's told me how much it has helped him because it gets him prepared for the, the emotional feeling of success or failure. The emotional feeling of success and failure. I want to hear if you're a coach. I want to hear if you're an athlete. I want to get your thoughts on this. I have found over the years that it takes a lot of preparation, mental preparation, to, to get ready. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour, and from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City, where every week as we talk about the mental side of sports on this show, and today's topic is the issue of visualization, mental preparation before you play. And we're going to go to the phones here in a moment, get some callers on, and discuss what they do to help their athletes prepare, or if they are an athlete, what they do to mentally prepare. I I've always said you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with a stronger mind will be the one who will come out on top. And part of having a stronger mind is the whole issue of mental preparation. So let's go first to Brad, see what he has to say. Brad, good morning, sir. How are you? Brad, are you there? I am. Yeah, go ahead. You're on the air. How are you? So uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I'm uh, ex minor league baseball player, washed up old guy, but I definitely remember an experience of uh, visualization. We were preparing to play in a uh, minor league championship game, and our coach put us on the bus. Uh, it was nighttime. It wasn't the night of the game. He put us on the bus. 
We went to the field. It was an away game. He put us all at our positions, pitch dark, and basically ran through all of the plays that we were, we could even think that were going to come our way in that game. And uh, we went through the whole process. He would say, ground ball to short, two outs, uh, man on first and second, make the play. You'd make the play. You'd cheer the progress just like you made the play. And we went through all kinds of scenarios and just visualized ourselves being successful. We showed up the next day to play the game, and it was like we already played it. Um, we were not supposed to win. We did, and uh, it was a championship, uh, AAA uh, minor league baseball game, and it was it was a an amazing process that we went through. But we would do it all the time, and it works. It, it, we would cheer it. We would actually – grown men laying in the field – uh, visualizing themselves being successful, and then the day of the game when it happened, it was just like you were there. Well, you know, you're validating, Brad, what I'm saying, and like I said, I've been talking about this for years when I was the team psychologist with the Royals, the several years I worked with them. Many of the, the players bought into this, and, uh, you know, several of them. In fact, I've had Willie Wilson on this show before. Willie talked about it, how when we worked together on this, it really helped him at the plate. He had a propensity to strike out under pressure back in the 1980 World Series. And for years, he had the, the record for the most strikeouts in the World Series. And I think Ryan Howard broke it. And then in 1990, when I worked with the Royals, we get into the whole visualization process, and it relaxed him at the plate. And he said, you know, I'd never done that before. I wished I'd learned this years before. He's been on the show several times and talked about it. It makes a huge difference, and you're validating that. Do you use that in your life after baseball? So I do. Uh, I actually I ran a call center for a while, and I would – uh, when I got hurt playing ball, couldn't play anymore, and the doctor said, uh, you're done. I got into call center management and started a call center, and I did it with my team that I built in this uh, call center. Uh, we would actually visualize ourselves on our calls, being successful, making calls, doing some role playing, uh, but visualizing how the call should go and then actually making the call and, and making it a positive call, not only for yourself, but the person on the receiving end. So, yes, I use it. I use it in a lot of different things. I have five children, and uh, three of them are athletes, and I, I teach it. I believe it. No doubt it works. Before we go to our next caller, I want to ask you one question real quickly. Did people have trouble buying into this at first? So when we first started doing it on the team, they had a problem buying into it. But when they saw themselves getting better and being successful at things, that they weren't typically successful at. Me, I was a shortstop. I struggled on the ball in the hole, but after visualizing myself doing it over and over and over again, it just became happened. Uh, just it, it was became just natural. natural. Became natural, yep. didn't it? Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's how it works. Brad, thank you so much call. for calling in. Great, I appreciate it and validating what I'm talking about this uh -huh. morning. You have a great day and good luck you with too, everything sir. you do. Thank you. Bye bye. Let's go next to Bob. Bob, thanks for holding on. How are you? Oh, I'm fine, uh, Andrew. I'm not an athlete, nor am I a coach, but I'm a former PGA Tour caddy. And I saw it firsthand from three yards away. I'm sure you did. I'd like to hear about it. Well, um, I caddied in the late 70s. Of course, Nicholas Watson, Trevino, the top players in the world, and each person did it differently. You never knew if Trevino was up by two or down by two with three holes to go because... The way he was was the way he was. He smiled. Mitch, give me a club, and he he just hit it. He wouldn't even think about it. And Nicholas, totally different. 
if you ever watch him swing, he always looks out. His eyes always look out, oh, two to three yards ahead of his shot. Yes, and he, yes. He always did that. And he just had a mental routine that you couldn't break. Uh, Tiger Woods is probably the only other person. Um, Tom Weisskopf, not good under pressure. You could tell, you could see his, you could see the veins in his neck when it was getting close. And he was a good player. He was a uh, big, tall guy who could hit the heck out of the ball 40 years ago. And um, he just, I don't think he could corral it. He had, he had the talent. I just don't think his mind ever corralled his talent. And it was so good to see. And a lot of other players, Bruce Litsky, he was one, smiled a lot like, a lot like Watson. And when it was pressure time, um, and he wasn't great. He did. He was good enough to be out there for some time. And it, it's just so, so neat to see that when it when it came down to hitting the shot, Nicholas, of course, could do it. Um, but you always wondered what went through their mind. You just kind of stood back and take the bag, scoop back about three yards, and then watch, just like everyone else. And it was it was really really exciting. Probably. One of the highlights of my life, that my time out there to see people who are the best perform under pressure. The other thing, too, about golf is you get to see their face. In football, uh, you know, Tyreek Hill could run down the sideline. You don't really ever see his face. He just does what he does. But in golf, it was a lot different. You'd see disappointment. You'd see excitement. And the face tells a lot. And that's what makes golf a good mental sport because, really, Andrew, when it came down to it, in four days, who could putt the best would win the tournament and whose ever mind was sharpest and could um, contain that energy and, and put it into what they wanted to do, what they wanted their body to do. That was typically the winner that week. Let me ask, you, Bob, let me ask you this question, Bob. Okay, you mentioned you caddied for Lee Trevino. My, my memory of him playing is that he almost always had a smile on his face. Mm-hmm. He always seemed to be happy. He always seemed to be relaxed. And he would g- grab the club, and he'd just get up there and hit it. You know, uh, Hermero Blancos, I was at a PGA workshop years ago when I did stuff for the PGA. His philosophy was grip it and rip it. And that's right. And basically don't think about it. And, and I'm sensing that's sort of what Trevino would do. He'd get the club, he'd get up, set up, and hit. And That's right. And, you know, I went to a clinic, uh, Tom Watson, for years uh, did a Children's Mercy Hospital uh, clinic, Blue Hills Country Club in Kansas City, and he brought in pros every year. And in uh, the early 80s, I went to one when Jack Nicholas was there, and I, I went to a presentation he gave about how he got prepared, and then he put a little exhibition on. And I was really enamored with how he focused. Because when he would get the, the club in his hand, I noticed he was just totally focused on the shot. And it didn't matter who was around, and I watched him for years on television with this. It's, he didn't notice anything but what he was doing. Was, was that your, your observation of him? Oh, absolutely. And even as a caddy, of course, you're, you're on this side of the ropes, and you get to walk around on the putting green out on practice ranges. And even at that time, and I think that's what made him so good, he mentally intimidated everyone. And he rarely talked to anyone during the round. He would smile, and that would be about it. He wouldn't say much to anyone. He wouldn't even say much to his caddy. He, the, um, Angelo Argeo was his caddy at the time. And Angelo would 
who was a different character, that's another story altogether, not anything like Jack. Um, but he was just so focused, and and it, it was it's incredible to watch. I, I don't know of an athlete who's ever, who, who could, his mind was just, so so into it and after it was over he would he would loosen up and he'd smile and talk but i remember at uh, the florida citrus open in 1977 at rio canar in florida um it was and i was caddying for kermit zarley and lee trevino was in our group and he i don't know if he won that tournament but i know he was way up there and it was the 16th or 17th hole Hey Lee, can can my daughter have a picture with you? Well, sure. And they came over. They took a picture. He signed some autographs. Turned around. About five seconds later, he hit a shot and then just walked and was talking to everyone. But that's how he handled stress. So, so was, was he? Cool. Did you think? Do you think Bob that he visualized what he was doing just quickly in his mind and then he just did it? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and and his his swing was so predictable that he didn't even think about it anymore. It was always left to right. It was always low, took off low, bent to the right, and uh, that's just the way he played, which is why he was never good at the Masters, because you have to learn to hit. Masters totally different. You've got to learn to uh, hit right to left shots um, on a lot of holes. But he was, he, was, uh, some, he was something else. I really, really enjoyed him. Gary Player was another one who was um, amazingly uh, focused, and in tremendous shape. That guy's like, I don't know, 83 today. He's still in great shape him. today. You're right. But what, so what you're saying to sum it up, Bob, is the, these great players who you caddied for all had their own routine, their own mental routine, their own visualization routine that they used, and that's one of the reasons they were so good. Absolutely. That, you know, that's, and it's probably true in life. When, when you're a, um, you know, you just go bowling or play tennis, the people that are amateurs that, that bear down a little bit more, usually do well yeah listen so. sir thank you so much for your call i appreciate it and uh thanks for calling in call in again i think you'll have some great information for us i appreciate it all right thank you have a great day i'm sports psychologist dr andrew jacobs hope we've enjoyed the show today our show is about visualization mental preparation there are a lot of ways you can listen to the show it is on my website which is winnersunlimited.com you can listen to it there it's also podcasted here at Sports Radio 810 WHB, go to the 810 WHB website. It'll be on there. You can follow me on Twitter at at DRJ Sports Psych, at DRJ S-P-R-T-P-S-Y-C-H. You can send me an email at drj at winnersandlimited.com. You can also reach me at my office, which is 816-561-5556. I want to thank everyone for listening. Great calls this morning, great comments. You know, if, if you work with athletes, have them listen to the show. Think about this whole importance of visualizing, mental preparation, guided imagery. It makes a difference. As I always like to say, you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with the stronger mind will come out on top. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. You've been listening to the Sports Psychology Hour. For more information, go to winnersunlimited.com.